0: Hey Cabot Cove Gazette fans, this is TJ coming to you with a little favor to ask of you. So my dear colleague and co-host Bridget is currently undertaking a survey on both Murder, She Wrote and Angela Lansbury fandom for a book she is currently writing. So if you are as in love with either Murder, She or Angela Lansbury as we are, we, she and I would love it if you could take about 30 minutes. It's uh, 30 questions on the questionnaire to speak a little bit about your own fandom, what drew you to Murder, She Wrote, and so forth. And you can find the link for it on our Cabot Cove Gazette social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks very much in advance. Hello everyone and welcome to your favorite murder she wrote podcast, uh, The Cabot Cove Gazette. I am your co-host TJ West and this is my other co-host
1: Bridget Keys. Hi everybody.
0: And we are so thrilled to be joining you for the third episode of our podcast which we are always so happy excited and gay to be (laughs) to be with you so in this week's episode we meet yet another of jessica's far-flung family uh her niece who is living in san francisco inexplicably where she is with her boyfriend who is an aspiring actor but who, as it turns out, is actually a drag performer. Um, and so when his boss ends up dead, everything sort of goes haywire, and that's where we are.
1: That's a, I mean, that's really all we need to know, because really what's important about this is Victoria, the niece, knowing that right. J.B. Fletcher has another niece, because we'll see her again in another episode. And uh, of course, she's played by Jeannie Francis, who is a soap opera queen at this point. Um, and is married to, this is nothing to do with Murder, She Wrote, but she's married to Jonathan Frakes, with whom I share a birthday, who is a actor and director in the Star Trek franchise. So we love Jeannie Francis.
0: I mean, that's part of the fun, of, for me at least, part <laughs> of the fun of Murder, She Wrote is just all the various connections that you can find to other 80s televisions and, you know, personal birthdays, clearly.
1: Personal birthdays are important. We also have Martin Landau in this episode. in in fact he's the first guy we see on screen but you know as soon as you see his face tj don't you think like he's either going to be the killer or he's going to get killed for being a shithole because it's martin landau like does he ever play any character who's not like despicable
0: that is what i literally said to my boyfriend when i was watching this i said does martin landau Ever not play a villainous character? And clearly, the answer
1: is no. <laughs> I mean, maybe he did, but my, you know, my association with him is just totally set in stone from North by Northwest. So oh, yes, I course, just, yeah. I, I just assume he's always going to be a bad guy. So I was like, oh, we've got our, we've got our killer. But of course, he is actually the victim. And I just right. want to point out that he's the victim because he's the sort of tyrannical owner of the nightclub where Victoria's boyfriend, fiance Howard, works. Uh, And last week we had a tyrannical father get murdered by his daughter. And, of course, in the first episode, The Murder of Sherlock Holmes, we have, he's not really a tyrant, but we have like sort of the terrible rich white guy uh, who gets murdered because of another terrible rich white guy. And so, you know, we've established in this series now that it's if you're rich and white and a guy, uh, you must be a terrible person and you're probably going to get your comeuppance at some point.
0: I mean, that's kind of true. Yeah, I mean, felt the real world were quite so, you know, just. It's no, it, it, but it's, harder, a, it's resistance,
1: right? It's like we think of the 80s as this time when, like, everything is, like, super conservative and it sucks to be a person of color or it sucks to be a woman. But, like, ah, there's just, like, these narratives of resistance, right? Like, yeah, maybe somebody will kill you.
0: <laughs> maybe you'll end up dead in a swimming <laughs> pool or, or wrapped up in your sailcloth or shot to death in your office chair, you know, whatever.
1: Yeah. <laughs> So where do you want to start talking about this episode? Because there's so much to say, and uh, I don't know where to start.
0: Well, first, we'll we'll just say that I sort of inadvertently did the 15-word summary, which is fine, uh, which we usually do. But I just gave it away. I gave the game away from the beginning. But we can start with maybe the most obvious thing, which is that Howard is a drag performer at a sort of cabaret club, I guess you would call it. Yeah. So perhaps we can start there, since that's the most obvious and to our listeners, I should point out, Bridget really sold this episode to me before I watched it, talking about how exciting it was going to be to see Jessica Fletcher in like a cabaret watching drag, and it was not nearly as exciting. It's actually
1: horrible. Like it's not. I know. I wrote in my notes, that- I wrote, this episode isn't as much fun as I remembered, not nearly enough drag. And then by the end, I was like, I'm actively angry at this episode. Yeah.
0: Although we'll get to that in a moment, but that seems to be more due to the the sort of lack of payoff when it comes to the actual But crime. also
1: just a lack of drag. Like, let's talk about the nightclub for a second. So it's called Les Champignons, and it's like the weirdest nightclub I've ever seen. Like it's all velvet and chandeliers, right? But then uh-huh. it's like the the perform the first performer we see is like a terrible comedian who like uses a drum set as the punchline for his jokes. Like, it makes no sense why this is, like, some fancy pants nightclub that you have to have a reservation for. But they have I mean, this, like, that, really was, dreadful comedian on stage.
0: I mean, that's I also very find it very funny when 80s shows, like, insert us into a comedy, like, someone's comedy, like, a stand-up routine. Like, just how 80s TV shows envision... <laughs> stand-up comedy to work like it happens all the time and the jokes are never funny or they insert you like at the very end where you miss like, They're the not. Uh, no
1: it's not funny at all and of course we're supposed to believe that he's like a tremendously talented comedian because he's got this deal to go to Vegas which is ultimately why he kills Martin Landau's character so he can get out of his nightclub deal but uh, he's awful but mostly it's just so incongruous with like this beautiful posh nightclub setting and also really incongruous with the idea that this is a drag club right? The, the, the whole thing doesn't up. make any sense. That. It doesn't make any sense. And all I wanted, like when we walk into the nightclub, we see this beautiful like marble hostess stand with like a fe- a, a, a pen that has like a plume, a feather, a pink feather coming out of it. And I just want more of that, right? I want nice. there to be feathers. I want fluff. I want glitter and sequins. And instead I'm getting like, ba ching comedian. And we finally get our first drag performer, who's good. And like her makeup was great. And she sings one line, and then that's when all hell breaks loose. So we didn't even right, get a performance. I right. I mean, is the drag queen
0: that good,
1: though? Like, comparatively speaking? Yeah, sure. I mean, we're not going to get, like, RuPaul-level drag queens on Murder, She Wrote in the 1980s. In but I do think we... Yeah, but it is San Francisco. But it's also CBS in the 1980s at, during the peak of the AIDS crisis. Like, this is this pretty kind of a big deal, right? That's true. They also have a lot of fun in this episode. It's not; they're not having fun. They all seem very confused about pronouns. But like, I think there's some fun to be had with that. Yes. That like, uh, they're playing with the idea that it's an episode dedicated to gender play, even if we don't see much gender play. And again, yeah. like, it's CBS in the 1980s. That's something.
0: That's no, It's true. I was just being more facetious about. Just how quote unquote good the drag is. But I suppose you're right. I thought she and had great eyeshadow.
1: That's all that matters. She had really great yeah. eyeshadow. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I suppose. I'm just saying, in San Francisco in the 80s, I think that there might have been a little bit more, the, the drag talent might have been a little more on point than what we're seeing in the show. Well,
1: that's what also doesn't make sense. So, like, the whole idea is that Howard lost his job and he doesn't want to tell Victoria, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, and so he had the – he his dream is to be an actor, and this opportunity opened up to do drag, what they call female impersonation, at this nightclub, right? That's his his one shot at becoming a performer. That also doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Like this – as you say, this is San Francisco. We have like real drag clubs, but this – it seems like a very like heteronormative audience. Right. Uh, it seems like you wouldn't need to grab a performer who's never done this before, and then just none of it makes sense that is correct and i was also just like is it i mean i was like who is this drag performance meant to provide
0: pleasure for is it for the diegetic audience who's just like enjoying watching obviously straight men dress up as women and not convincingly or yeah. is it for the audience in the out in the tell you know outside of the diegesis, like us again watching straight men abject themselves by being yeah. And bad drag.
1: <laughs> well, and then I was thinking, you know, maybe because Peter Scolari died recently, it's on my mind. But I was thinking, you know, this is sort of um, contemporaneous to Bosom Buddies, that mm-hmm. TV sitcom where Tom Hanks and Peter Scolari need a place to live. And so they live in an all-women's building and they have to masquerade as women while they're there. Uh, and so there's just like a trope of like really terrible drag on TV at this time, right? Yeah.
0: And it happens a lot.
1: Like, Clinger on TV. MASH, too, yeah. right? which had just ended at this point. Um, right. Yeah, so so the first time we see Howard, he's running out from backstage through the audience in a hot pink dress and a wig uh, while a woman is screaming, stop him, stop him, he's a murderer. And he trips and falls and the wig comes off and that's when Victoria and Jessica see that this seeming woman is Howard.
0: Uh-huh. And
1: that's how they know that Howard has been doing drag secretly.
0: Right. I mean, but also let's just talk about the fact that, you know, I love the fact that Jessica... So, you know, she's kind of the, uh, an older ingenue, like she just doesn't, like she's so innocent, so like she doesn't really, you know, frequent such places in Cabot Cove. But of course, Angela Lansbury is, you know, are you t- trying to tell me that Angela Lansbury's never been to a cabaret club with drag performers? I think not. So it's That's just, such you know, a good point. A <laughs> point. <laughs> a good I mean, point. if there's any, I mean, let's be real, like I said this to my boyfriend too, I was like, let's be real, Jessica Fletcher is a huge fat keg. I mean, that's just the, fact.
1: You that's think? Just the, the Jessica
0: Fletcher? I mean, Seth Hazlitt, Come on, the, the Seth. You think
1: Seth best. is gay? Uh. I, whoa, whoa, whoa! Like, I mean, I've been watching this show for like what thirty-five years, and I have never even—it's never even crossed my mind that Seth could be gay. Are you kidding me right now? No, and I'm—I'm I'm like stunned <laughs> at myself. Of course, Seth is gay, and of course, she says, "Hag. Oh, oh, we really are them. Okay."
0: Yes, exactly. I mean, that's why we started the show to start with. I thought that was I thought that was the uh, my, my whole sense of who we are as a, as a, as a couple has been shaken.
1: Well, I think definitely I thought, when they make the reboot, which surprisingly they haven't yet since they've dreadfully remade and rebooted everything from the 80s. Uh, they'll probably go that direction, don't you think?
0: Oh, almost certainly. Seth will have
1: to be explicitly I mean, they, gay. Uh,
0: yes, exactly. He is Like I said, is there ever any mention that Seth has
1: a Do you think that wife? Jessica is like a late-in-life lesbian? Like, obviously, she loved Frank. We've talked about that in our previous episodes. But do you think that, like, later in life, she's like, nah, actually, like, women are kind of great.
0: I mean, I think it's always possible. I mean, there's always that, uh, the whiff of that around the, the figure of the spinster, you know, yeah. of, of some kind of queerness, even if it's not necessarily straight-up lesbianism. Uh, lesbianism.
1: No, I'm just saying. Like, do you think she's going to start like hooking up with women? That's what I'm asking. I hope so. Do you? We'll
0: have to, we'll have to look for evidence. We'll have to look for, for textual evidence, as we say in the. Uh,
1: I'm such yeah, a yeah, like. Yeah. I grew up in the Catholic school system, girl. Because I, I just like. I think what I've always liked about Jessica Fletcher was that she was sort of sexless, you know. Uh huh.
0: No, she is. Too. I mean, that's true. But you know, I mean, who knows the the secret life of Jessica
1: Fletcher? You know, the next <laughs> podcast, you know? Write that fix, somebody. So, <laughs> Howard gets arrested because he's standing over the body and the woman screams that he's the murderer. But of course, Howard isn't the murderer. And I think what, um, like, in terms of Jessica's circle and world, like, what there's a couple of interesting things that happen here. Like, everyone's really glad that Howard's been doing drag performances secretly because Victoria's been finding like lipstick on his on his handkerchiefs and he's been out late at night and so there's a kind of a suspicion even though they're they're getting married like tomorrow there's a suspicion that he might be cheating on her and it's a relief to find out that actually he just has the secret job right um, and similarly they they you know he's arrested for the murder and Jessica asked him a couple of questions and unpacks that like he hasn't done it so it, oh it's a relief and she says we've only ever had one killer in our family so thank god we're not going to have a second So I think I
0: remember the red coat, the red
1: coat, the red coat. Yeah. (laughs) The only killer in their family was some revolutionary who shot a red coat. Yep. (laughs) So there's so much about like um, in a way like Victoria and Jessica are really accepting of the drag performance in a way that's sort of like progressive and reassuring. Right. Like, you don't, we don't care that you're doing drag. That's fine. Actually, it's great because the alternative was that you were cheating on me. Mm hmm. So that's kind of nice, no, right? They're not, like, shocked or scandalized by it?
0: Yeah, there's no suggestion that he's, like, queer, like, mm-hmm. but it's very clearly he's a straight man dressing in drag, which is very, very different than, like, you know, mm-hmm. traditional understanding of what drag queens are.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of bummed that we never even got to know his stage name. Yeah, me too. And, like, but, I mean, what seems- did he do? Because oh, the yeah. other the other one was the singer. Like, what, what did he do?
0: Well, he said he stumbled around like clumsily, so apparently he was just comic relief, which is itself, like I said, going back to what I said earlier about sort of the abasement of of straight men and drag, like
1: that's clearly part of the reason this club exists. Probably, probably like his ankles are caving over in the high heels, right? I can like see Uh that. This is the shittiest uh, shittiest. nightclub ever. I just want to go on the record and we're supposed to be sold on the fact that it has like this French name and that it's like expensive and hard to get into. But like Uh this is the shittiest nightclub ever. The food better be really good. San
0: Francisco. Like, who is going to this place in in San Francisco? Not Nancy Pelosi, I can tell you that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Um, Not a young
0: Kamala Harris, I can tell you that.
1: (laughs) She's she's not old enough to be going there yet. So, yeah. Can we talk about... Let's talk about Victoria and Howard for a second. Like, because... She's they're they're at the church having the rehearsal for their wedding that he's late to, and that's when she sees the handkerchief with lipstick, and he's been out all night blowing her off the week before their wedding. Their um, Catholic wedding, no less. and she's gonna go through with this wedding. Like this doesn't make any sense to me. I I, I feel like I feel like that's a common thing in TV, especially eighties mm-hmm. TV, but like. It's such a tired trope that, like, we're engaged, but we actually don't even know anything about each other, and we don't tell each other anything.
0: Right, and it comes to a, a fruition at the end. Whenever you know, Howard has just said he's going to become like what I forget. He's going to be doing some boring job, real estate, I think it is, right? And then
1: no, he, no, he got a kept... soap deal.
0: No, but then oh then yeah, I, yeah, 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 he got a real estate a job. Yeah, deal. and then they're like, well, what about our vacation? What about our honeymoon? What about you know, you're doing real estate? He's like, screw it. And then Jessica's like, screw it all. Just go and do your soap opera job. And it's just like, okay. Like, so you're just going to like throw aside this vacation that you <laughs> paid. That for Jessica
1: paid jobs. for a vacation for the honeymoon in Hawaii. <laughs> Hawaii.
0: Which you know costs like big bucks.
1: And you know, it's not refundable. Right. Exactly. And then he has, it's I mean, a- real estate isn't the most steady of careers either because it's commission based, but like it's a job. And instead he's going to, it's a full-time job. And he's checking that for a two day a week gig on a soap opera. That's, uh-huh. It has no, like, job security. Right. And everybody's yeah, like, this yeah, this is- sounds... Oh, and it's in a different city, too. We have to move to L.A. And everyone's like, woo! This is, is going to be right? great!
0: This is another one of those moments, right, where, you know, some... You know, there are obviously points of resistance in Murder, She Wrote, but there are also moments when, like, it's the innate conservatism of CBS and, and the, the sort of um, the general 1980s milieu sort of forecloses some of that because it's like, well, the man's career also must always take perfectly. Like,
1: well, and um, also just, you know, that, like, follow your dreams, right? It's the Reagan era. Mm-hmm. If you follow your dreams hard enough, you can get it. And it, we are now 40 years later, and we're all so cynical because that shit did not pan out, right? That is correct. Follow <laughs> your dreams, and you're going to be calling Aunt Jess for help paying your bills for a lot of months. are oh, moving in with Aunt
0: Jess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you could be, in yeah. Tabitha Cove. <laughs> Well, no, because we have to stay in LA, so we're just going to be on the phone with her all the time asking her for money. I mean, this uh-huh. is I at this point I'm like Victoria might be worse than Grady. Really, she has a lot of kind of yeah. She her nieces and nephews like none of them can seem to get their shit together. So there is something really economically interesting about that that someone should pursue, right? Like mm-hmm. the older woman, she's beyond a baby boomer, isn't she? She would be greatest generation, right? Yeah, but she's mean, financially stable. <laughs> even rises to wealth and fame later in life right she's now
0: yeah she's a retired teacher now she has another source of yeah
1: we're supposed supposed to believe that she was secure in retirement you know financially right and then here's her here's her nieces and nephews in the 80s and like none of them seem to be able to like hold down a job maintain their finances there's something compelling about that to me not get not get accused of murder or not get to to a well, I was just thinking there's something compelling about that to me as someone whose parents have been financially stable and do not understand all the struggles that me and my friends and my generation have had, but none of us have ever been accused of murder, so we do have that going for us. Yet. murder, <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of murder, speaking let's, of talk murder let's talk about the murder. The,
0: the, and the, the, uh, the police lieutenant or uh, detective who is one of the more abrasive but also corregionally and lovable kind of investigators that we meet in the show i think anyway okay he he is
1: worthless first of all because the entire the their entire decision about like who the most likely suspect is hinges upon this 15 minute window of time when the shithole comedian is drumming on stage like did the medical examiner not actually pinpoint a time of death we're going to base everything off of like when was it so loud we couldn't have heard a gunshot i mean that's crappy police work right and then what what was remarkable to me is, like, Jessica just insists the cop talks to her. And she's like, if you don't tell me everything, I'm going to go on TV and trash talk you. And he's like, okay, here's the case file. You can look at all this confidential info. And she, like, calls him up and is like, how'd the test results go? And he just tells her everything. Like, like. At this point, it's not even clear she's not a suspect. It's her 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 nephew, soon to be nephew, could be a suspect. Like none of this makes any sense. This is the crappiest policing ever.
0: Yeah, and I mean, let's also be real. Like Jessica is infringing on a uh, an active murder case, which is you know,
1: the police cool. let her talk to Howard unsupervised for ten minutes. Yes. Like, let's say they actually do ever find the killer and go to trial. Like, what do we think the odds are of a conviction at this point? Like, there have been so many flaws in this investigation. But I think we're supposed to see this as Jessica sort of coming into her own, right? That she... Mm-hmm. Which is weird because in the next episode, she's sort of back to being like, oh, I don't want to get involved. Um, but but right. she's, uh, you know, she's coming to her own. She's like, I'm going to stand up for my family, which tells us a lot about her. But also, like... Now, I know how these things work because at this point, we're told she's written six books.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so she knows how these things work and she's going to make sure it all is handled correctly, which involves yep. bringing her in and handling it not correctly. Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I mean, like, but to be fair, I mean, she does go to the detective's house and he does have a cat and like she bonds <laughs> with the cat. And it's kind of cute. Like, yeah, like, there's also like a, a of
1: question cute. of the cat's gender, too, right? Uh, Aye, she's like cute, oh yeah, isn't he pretty or what's her name and it's George or something so it's like right. yeah everybody's was, gender is up cute. for grabs like,
0: yeah I, was like, I thought that was a nice little bit of gender play uh, episode that has a lot of that going on
1: he has a nice cat can we talk about the aha moment in this one too because I also I this is part of why I'm actively angry at this episode that I remembered being one of my favorites um even and I just watched it like in July too, and and somehow it didn't make me as angry as it did this week.
0: But well, the, now we're looking at it with a more critical analytical
1: <laughs> lens. So, so the um, the whole idea is that Jessica has been in the shithole comedian's dressing room and noticed that his couch was faded because it's sitting under the window, um, and then. The aha moment is, of course, that she has a pillow, that she is, she's laying on a pillow and thinks about the pillow in the comedian's room being faded and how there's no...
0: And it's because of the feather, right? Because she recognizes right. that the feather that was found on the murder weapon was not from the bird, but from the pillow. From
1: someone shooting violaser. through a pillow, which means that we they would have silenced the gun. So maybe the person wasn't killed when the shithole comedian was drumming after all. Which, again, like, couldn't the medical examiner have figured that out? Like, it's just, like, crappy policing, but okay, whatever. So, uh, yeah, the whole thing about her observing this faded couch to me is ridiculous because she's in the guy's dressing room before, long before he's a suspect, long before she's even thought about this, the pillow being used as a silencer. And there's, like, this long moment where the camera lingers on the couch and we're supposed to see her paying attention to the couch. I know we're supposed to think she's an observant woman, but, like, that's a little too much for me. Like, what are the odds she walks into a room and she pays that much attention to a couch that just happens to be the clue to a murder? Right.
0: And, I mean, the only the thing that frustrates me more is the motive for the murder. Like, I mean, I know that Murder, She isn't always the best when it comes to the revelation of, of motivations because they all seem rather facile like i mean and i think that's true of just a lot of murder fiction like oh this, i you know i just wanted the money or yeah you know the, you know the kind of cheap motivations which to be fair there are a lot of very
1: wait know, how is it cheap, a cheap motivation to what it's a, i don't they say you only ever murder for love or money so those seem like totally plausible reasons to kill right
0: Right. But the, in this case, it's just because like, he felt like the guy, like the, he it was, his career is being stifled. So we decided to kill him. Like, that's the only. Well, he needed out he of his
1: contract in. so he could go to Vegas and make it big.
0: I know. But it just, like it just, it seemed to me a little bit, not as well thought out as some of the other motivations that we've yeah. seen
1: before. Yeah, like it's
0: not like in the previous episode where a daughter kills her father because he's been a tyrant. Like right. that makes more sense only because the family dynamic adds a, a punch to it. But yeah, this yeah, just Seemed, and it didn't help that the, the comedian himself was kind of a meh character. There wasn't a lot of like. A lot of there was, he wasn't a suspect that had a lot of dynamism or was. Well,
1: I mean, we're not even calling him by name, so that tells you how lackluster we found him yeah, to it, be, it's, right? Like, it's not like <laughs> just
0: because, like it's not like the first episode where there was like that moment of tragedy that gave you know heft to the moment, or like I said, the second episode with the family dynamic. It's just kind of mm. like eh.
1: just like the murder like, plot yeah, most, is really it's, secondary it's like this- to this whole. Uh, kerfuffle with howard and victoria exactly right? it's
0: like that the, the, the howard being a closet drag queen kind of occupies most of the,
1: the and it the should have occupied most energy. of the screen time too because it would have been a more fun episode just saying
0: right i mean at least they didn't make one of the drag queens the murderer so that would have been unfortunate
1: yeah because then we'd be spending 25 minutes talking about queer villainy and how that's a long-standing trope in media and how angry that makes us right
0: But how it also may be a subversive because it's the (laughs) queer punishing for, you know, so.
1: It doesn't, none of this makes sense. Like, like, it just doesn't make any sense. So, you know, the comedian, they're testing this whole thing. The lights fell and it hit the comedian and he ended up in the hospital. And that was to throw suspicion away from him. Uh, And so Jessica's like, we got to test this out to see if that was right, you know. And they're testing it out. And he like actually comes out on stage to talk to them. Like, if you had murdered someone and then you tried to throw suspicion off yourself by making a light fall and hit you and put you in the hospital, and then you see that they're testing to see whether that's possible on stage, would you come out and talk to them or would you, like, run away, right? Doesn't make any sense. And then the whole thing is that, you know, she's like, aha, we have a faded pillow. The faded pillow must have come from your room, so you must be the murderer. And he's like, well, yeah, I did it. I'm like none of it, If this guy's whole thing was that he wanted the nightclub owner dead so he could go have his career, why wouldn't he have packed up all his shit that night and fled town? And right. like, go make your career, right? Like it, right? It, Rather than
0: hanging around this nightclub, you know, just wait, and then or just I chilling until I get there.
1: caught. No big deal. <laughs>
0: and orchestrating this uh you know the the sandbag falling on on someone like it just doesn't make any sense
1: no it's such a crappy plot it really is um and also at one point in my first note i'm i don't know if we am i allowed to talk about this but like um martin lanto's character has a german shepherd in the opening scene and then like the first thing i noticed was that like they shot a picture of the puppy and his penis was out
0: I should honestly say I did not notice. Are you
1: going to edit that out? Nope. I'm leaving my <laughs> own baby. You did you notice also notice body? when Jeannie Francis this sneezes? A kind of high quality, this, this is a high-quality high quality podcast. For yeah, yeah, it's adult content. For her. This is what people tune in for, is like these <laughs> kinds of observations, like J.B. Fletcher shoe fetishist, aroused <laughs> Dog dogs. <laughs> and, yeah. and did, you, did you also notice when Jeannie um, Francis sneezes into her fingers? And then, Uh-oh. like, keeps using her hand. This happened at the church when she said she's allergic to flowers. And, like, maybe because we're living in COVID world, but I was, like, I, I almost vomited, like, watching that happen. Like, she sneezes directly into her fingers. And then she's, like, talking to the priest and, like, shaking people's hands and touching people. I mean, it's horrifying.
0: Well, now we know why the flu has been one of the leading causes of death in the United States for the last, like, 60 years.
1: <laughs> it's Jessica Fletcher's niece's fault. <laughs>
0: well people take a lot of their behavioral cues from popular culture so you know i'm just saying where she was on the air for 12 seasons or whatever it was and people sneezing on their fingers and stuff just saying like cultural reach baby
1: cultural reach i (laughs) (laughs) this episode is so i just i let's just all like uh, it's even called birds of a feather right which invokes like so many queer themes and then you're like, uh-huh. it's like was, birds I, I, I and cages and la casual foal and like it's obviously trying to have fun with all of that and it had none of the fun. I know. I
0: mean it wasn't a total loss of an episode but I do think that compared to what I had experienced expected going in given like i said how much bridget hyped this up i'm just telling our listeners bridget really hyped this up for me i was very excited i had images of angel lansbury and like a boa like in a <laughs> slinky dress going to this
1: nightclub she's still jessica excited. fletcher she's not actually mame you know
0: well sure i know that but i thought perhaps you know they had to go in disguise so they didn't stand out like i it was a very different kind of episode than i was envisioning so but that's bridget's fault not the episode's <laughs> fault well, that seems like a good place to stop now that we've established that Jessica Fletcher is not, in fact, Maine. I'm, I'm glad I stand corrected on that misapprehension on my part. So, as always, we do want to thank all of you, our faithful listeners, who and all of your hordes are tuning in to our. <laughs> our ramblings every week. We sincerely appreciate all of your listening and all of your downloading because we do love talking about Murder, She Wrote, and we love connecting with everyone else. So please join us next week where we will dive into just how accurately Murder, She Wrote portrays the vicissitudes of being an act or of being an author whose work gets translated to the big screen. So until then, we thank you very much from the Cabot Cove Gazette.
1: The Cabot Cove Gazette's theme song is Reaching the Sky by Alexander Nagarada, used under Creative Common license. You can find us on social media. We're Cabot Cove Gazette on Facebook and at Cove Gazette on Instagram and Twitter.